The worst night of Rona Herman's life happened outside a biker club in North Carolina. Her husband belonged to the club, and that night he'd brought her with him. Rona found out that later in the evening, she and some of the other women were going to receive motorcycle patches up at the front of the room. Rona panicked and ran out the back door. Her husband came running after her, but she begged him to stay away until he started freaking out too, saying, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to help you. I don't know if I can do this anymore. That was the moment where I decided, okay, we really need to figure out what's going on because if I want to continue being married to this man that I love, (laughs) then something needs to change and we need to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Rona desperately needed to figure out what was going on with her in order to save her marriage. She felt like she tried everything and nothing was working. But then her sister sent her an old sewing machine and told her to start stitching her life back together. This is Homemade, an original podcast by Rocket Mortgage about the meaning of homes and what we can learn about ourselves in them. I'm Stephanie Fu. We sometimes think of crafting as a solitary pursuit, often done alone at home and maybe even boring to the casual observer. But in these stories, we focus on one hobby that has played a critical part in two people's lives, sewing. In one, sewing builds pride, confidence, and community. In another, it puts a young woman at the center of one of the most important events in U.S. history. Our plane lift off of 32 minutes past the hour. The anxiety started when Rona Herman was a teenager in the late 90s. She remembers one time when she was in high school, some of the cool kids invited her to a party. I really longed to be part of that group. But then when the day came, I came up with an excuse not to go because I so was afraid of trying to fit in and then them rejecting me Mm. that I just decided not to try at all. Rona felt safe when she was alone. Alone, she didn't have a voice of self-doubt nagging at her and she didn't have to worry about saying or doing the wrong thing. If I was around other people, even my family at that time, Wow, even your own family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know how to interact with these people, even though they're my relatives. On an emotional level, psychological level, I wanted to be invisible. And I wasn't. Even when she was at home, Rona still didn't feel alone enough. She still had to deal with the same social anxiety. Was there a moment that you remember that you really wanted to be seen? I'm not sure that I necessarily wanted to be seen. It was more about, I want to belong. Universal human need. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Rona's anxiety got worse after she married. It became more physical. She started having panic attacks, sometimes in public, where she would fall to the ground and curl up in a ball at her husband's feet. And because he's a combat veteran, His whole outlook on things is when there's a problem, find the source, fix it, move on. Mm. And he couldn't do that with me. And so it made him angry. But unfortunately, that anger, I took that as he was angry at me. And that just made the whole situation 10 times worse. Rona tried meds, toughing it out, pep talks. Nothing worked. It affected her marriage. Her husband's really social, outgoing, makes friends easily. He joined the motorcycle club and dragged her along to events, hoping she would make friends too. 
she didn't. So life got really small. She spent more and more time at home. But her husband was there. So was her son. What she really needed was to be alone. And finally, it all came to a head with the panic attack at the motorcycle club where she was to receive a patch. Shortly after, Rona's sister sent her the sewing machine. I didn't have a life, as she put it. I needed a hobby. So she informed me that I was going to learn how to sew and I was going to inherit her old sewing machine. Specifically, her sister said, you're going to sew quilts. Rona had never sewn before, but okay. The first thing she figured out is quilting is really hard. You have to sew three pieces of fabric together to make kind of a fabric sandwich and then adorn the top piece with colorful designs. Rona made her first quilt and gave it to her mother. She said it was a bed-sized disaster. The fabric had a bowling alley theme. The quilt was unevenly stitched and it came apart easily. But there was something about quilting Rona liked. I very much have a mathematic brain. I see numbers. I see geometrical shapes. I've always had this natural ability to match colors and contrasts, things like that. It triggered both of those points in my brain where it was in a challenging and creative way that I could actually make something. Physically, what were you enjoying about sewing? When I was sitting at that sewing machine and I was focusing on cutting the fabric and designing these things, I could turn off the anxiety. I could turn off the fear of everything because I had something to focus on. Rona's work is really unconventional. This isn't your grandma's quilt. Like at one point during the interview, she turned around and showed off the quilt behind her. You get the really loud, obnoxious, in-your-face fabrics, and then it kind of leads into very subtle, pastel, kind of think Easter-type fabrics, and it goes right back into those loud, obnoxious fabrics. (laughs) The quilt is like a neon Escher drawing. Flowers, zigzag stripes, abstract patterns. It's actually, like, very trippy, like almost psychedelic. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. (laughs) (sighs) If you were to look inside my brain, that's what you would see in color. Rona got better and better at quilting. Good enough to donate to the motorcycle club for one of their charity raffles. Soon, she started getting a bunch of similar requests from other groups. But quilting isn't cheap. All of that fabric, especially the colorful stuff, is expensive. She needed a job. On one of her visits to Joanne Fabrics, Rona saw they were hiring. So despite the anxiety, she applied and she got the job. Part of the job requirement is you have to ask customers, what kind of project are you working on? How can I help you? A simple interaction, really, but not for Rona. It was almost like my brain became an Etch-A-Sketch and somebody just shook it (sighs) and there was literally nothing. For instance, I went up to this woman who was just looking at some quilting fabric and she looked at me and she just kind of looked back at the fabric and then she looked at me again and then she asked me, can I help you? (laughs) (laughs) And that was thoroughly embarrassing. (laughs) Rona's colleagues taught her to write scripts, things to say ahead of time when approaching customers. She used one for the first time on a woman shopping with her daughter. I said, oh my gosh, what project are you working on today? 
And the little girl, probably about 12, she turns to me just bright-eyed and so excited. And she said, I'm making aprons. And I said, that's fantastic. I've never made an apron. Tell me about it. And then when our interaction was done, I remember taking that home with me and thinking, I can talk about quilting. Soon after, a co-worker invited her to join a quilting guild, basically a sewing club. Rona felt anxious the first time she went, but this time it was more of an excited anxiousness. Sitting down in this room was nerve-wracking. But my coworker, she helped introduce me to people. And that got the conversation going. And by the end of the night, I felt like I belonged somewhere, finally, in my life. Wow. During one meeting, a visiting master quilter invited everyone to a quilting trip to Ireland. Rona mentioned it to her husband more as a joke, but he jumped on it, asked her, so when do you leave? So Rona went with 12 other quilters. When she got there, she thought maybe she'd made a huge mistake. She was so scared to approach the master quilter, she almost flew home. But then she turned around and introduced herself. And that was the last moment of fear for her whole trip. All of a sudden, this person that had always been there and was longing to have a community and a place to belong, all of a sudden she came flying out (laughs) and I was flirting with bartenders. I was, I mean, it was just crazy. I was talking to people. I was dancing with this five-year-old to a street band. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. (laughs) Even my husband, I would call him every night from the hotels, you know, and tell him what was happening and send him pictures. And was he like, hell yeah, flirt with them? He was, who are you? (laughs) He literally was so confused. And yeah, so the trip literally changed everything. But then the trip came to an end. When I got home, I really got angry for a bit. And I think that was because I was so afraid of losing what I had just discovered. And that was part of the final turning point for me. I finally see where I want to be. And I finally have felt that connection that I've wanted. And I don't want to let it go. At first, Rona kept being the person she discovered in Ireland. She returned to work at Joanne, even taught some quilting classes there. But then friends encouraged her to leave and start her own classes. She did, and it was super satisfying. But over time, the classes dwindled to just a few of her friends. No new students. That meant she was no longer feeling the energy she got from connecting to new people with the same quilting passion. The voice started coming back, and the depression started coming back. My eating got out of control, and I could see the signs. It was either, okay, we can either stop now and just give up completely, or... Like my husband said, you can swallow your stomach (laughs) and just go up and find a new way. The new way was a blog. When the pandemic hit, most people felt incredibly isolated, stuck at home. The reverse happened to Rona. She started a site called Rona the Riveter, where she posted her quilts and even started a YouTube channel. I'm Rona the Riveter, also known as the Traveling Quilter. And the quilters came calling. Hundreds of followers suggesting topics for the blog. Many people tend to think of quilting as sitting in front of a sewing machine or on a couch with a hoop and a needle. Asking for technical advice and recommendations for where to buy good fabrics. 
That is my quilting machine because it is its sole purpose, quilting, piecing machine. She was able to publish books of patterns and a book called Tips for the Traveling Quilter. And so you kind of feel then now like as if finally you deserve that love and that friendship. Yeah, I found that I belong and that I do deserve to be here. I do deserve to be a part of this community and I do deserve to be welcomed and inside the bubble. I'm no longer outside the bubble. That includes with her family. Thanks to sewing, life at home with her husband and son became more manageable. They definitely noticed I wasn't so scared as much all the time, at least around them and at home. I was definitely more open to trying new things where sewing was related. And then that kind of led to trying new things in the kitchen, like trying new recipes to try something new Mm -hmm. and kind of get out of the rut, so to speak. And when she goes to her mother's house for a visit, Rona is reminded of her first quilt with the bowling balls and pins on it, badly stitched and falling apart. The quilt still sits in her living room on her chair that she sits in at night to watch television. (laughs) And she won't let me fix it because it's important to remember where you started Mm. to really appreciate where you are now. You can see how much you've grown. Yes, exactly. In the next story, a Delaware seamstress rediscovers her sense of purpose years after participating in a defining moment in American history. Growing up, Jean's parents insisted she and her 12 siblings were to dress nice. They wore beautiful clothes made by their mother. Jean's parents told her it projected respect and pride. Jean's family wasn't rich, but Jean's mother taught her that by sewing, she could look like she was. Her mother took old feed bags, washed and bleached them or dyed them with tea bags, and turned them into beautifully tailored items of clothing, spinning chaff into gold. Well, my mother was always sewing, so from the time I was a baby, crawling on the floor or whatever else, I would be under the table and taking her foot and putting it back on the pedal and she would take it off. And then when I was nine years old, that's when she allowed me to be able to set at the sewing machine and start sewing. These are Jean's fondest memories of home. Sitting next to her mom, learning to sew. And from the beginning, she had a talent for it. That was yet another source of pride wearing her own clothes to school, like the time she made an A-line skirt. I was so proud of the fact that I made this skirt. When I came home from school, the first time I wore it, I was literally crying because I told my mother no one believed I made the skirt. So what she did, she was able to write a little note. She said, please let the students know that my daughter did make that. I did not touch it. She did it all by herself. Jean stood out from her classmates with her stylish clothes and for having made them herself. But just a few years later, Jean started work on a piece of clothing that only a handful of people would ever get to wear. After high school, Jean saw that the local division of Playtex was recruiting in Delaware for good seamstresses to work on a project of national importance. Spacesuits, to be worn by the astronauts on the Apollo 11 mission. This was unlike any sewing Jean had ever done. The training took three months. 
We had to learn and prove that we were good in our math and our fractions and things like that. And it was a lot of other information to how things had to be put together, almost like a layout or a blueprint of building a building. It was clear from the beginning that Jean was really good at her job, so she was quickly promoted to floor manager. She was just 19 years old. The other women were not thrilled. Some didn't like being told what to do by a 19-year-old. Others didn't like being told what to do by a Black woman. I had the authority to fire people. If you didn't want to listen to me and do what I asked you to do, I could let you know the same door to hit you in your back when you came in this morning can hit you in your back when I asked you to leave. So I had to prove to a lot of these women at the age of 19, and I was their supervisor, I had to prove to them that I could do what I was asking them to do. Handling unpleasant coworkers was hard. The work was even harder. Each suit took many weeks to complete. And most importantly, there were no mistakes allowed. Every stitch had to be perfectly spaced. One time, examiners thought a pin had been left in the suit, so they ripped it apart. A month of work lost. Turned out, it was just a rough piece of fabric. What would have happened if there was a pin in it? It could have been a possibility of losing oxygen. It could have caused some damage to the suit or came apart. It could have caused damage to the astronaut. If he was up in space, it could have possibly cost him his life. Wow. The outfits were a lot different, but the precision needed was familiar to Jean. It was something her mother taught her at home. At the time, Jean's mother was dying. On visits to the hospital, she told Jean how proud she was of her. She knew that because of what she taught me, that helped me to be where I was at. And I think that made her feel good, too. She kept telling me, she said, one day you're going to receive something that's going to be a big reward for you. And she used to always tell me that. Jean's mother passed away two months before the Apollo 11 mission. The first time Jean ever flew in a plane, it was to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, an all-expenses trip to see the Apollo 11 launch. She stood on the roof and looked up. I can close my eyes to this day and still remember the noise, the sound. By the time she returned home, Neil Armstrong was about to take his first steps on the moon. Four minutes and counting, we are go for Apollo 11. Playtex set up a TV in the cafeteria. I'm uh, at the foot of the ladder. I don't think anybody worked that day. (laughs) And I said, that's the suit. I made that suit. Look at it. I made that suit. He's got the suit on. Mm -hmm. So I was quite excited about that to see something I made. Yeah. It's already amazing when, you know, you're, I don't know, Versace and you know that a movie star is going to wear your dress at the Oscars. But that that's something else entirely. Right. I was hoping that one day I could go on and, and be able to do bigger and better things as time went by. And of course, to stay into the program, you know, and to continue on, Mm -hmm. have a decent job with benefits and, you know, an income that I could survive for the rest of my life. But that isn't what happened. In the months following the Apollo 11 mission, Playtex laid off seamstresses. Demand for spacesuits was down. Jean worked at another company, then took time off to raise her daughter. Not too long after that, She started her own business, working as a dressmaker, sewing outfits from scratch like her mom had done. The timing wasn't great. In the 70s and 80s, cut-and-sew jobs moved overseas. Clothing prices dropped. And it meant less business for people like Jean. 
Also, her eyesight was getting worse from all the time staring down at stitches. So Jean closed the shop. Afterward, she also suffered from a divorce. Her life wasn't turning out how she'd hoped. The Apollo 11 flight seemed like a distant memory. Did people know what you'd done? A few people did. And then at the same time, it's like, oh, I don't believe that, you know, or I don't believe that she did all of that or whatever. It must have been really upsetting that people didn't believe you. You know, I don't want people to think I'm running around bragging and boasting on myself. And I let it go. Hmm. And at the same time, doors were not opening the way I wished they had opened for me to be able to go out and really get into uh, sewing and designing and doing whatever. After her divorce, Jean needed money. She found work as a school bus driver. Ever since she was little, she'd been interested in being a school teacher. And so working with kids seemed fun. And it was. The cute chatter on the bus reminded her of her own daughter when she was a kid. Life was a lot simpler. Drive from point A to point B. No intricate stitches, no pins left in spacesuits, no complex patterns. But pretty soon, different patterns started to emerge. Even as a bus driver, Jean still had her seamstress's eye. She couldn't ignore it. She paid close attention to what every little kid wore as they got on the bus. Some of the kids came from low-income families, and it wasn't unusual to see them rotating the same outfits. But Jean noticed one girl who wore the same dress every day. That Thursday she got on the bus, she had the same dress on, Mm. but there was a difference in the way she had it on. It was inside out. I had her to sit in the seat behind me on the way to school because I knew something was going on, and it just broke my heart. She thought she had done something wrong, and I told her, you're not in trouble. I promise you, you're not in trouble. Because what happened, she started crying. I asked the little girl, why was she wearing her dress inside out? She said, because the other side was dirty. Mm. That was her reason. So that let me know something was seriously wrong. Anyway, to make a long story short, when I got to the school, I had the principal to come out. And I was so glad it was a female principal, too, because she was a mother also. Mm -hmm. The principal gave the girl some fresh clothes. Then she and Jean went around to the girl's home, where they found an alcoholic mother who was unable to care for her children, and they called child services. After the incident, Jean got to thinking about all the kids on her bus and the clothes they were wearing. And so she said to herself, I want these kids to dress for success, to take pride in themselves despite their circumstances. And I can help. From that point on, this became Jean's purpose. She collected buttons from all over and sewed them into shirts, blouses, and jackets on the bus. And she regularly went to Goodwill to buy clothing on her own dime for the kids until she convinced the school to start their own clothing program. One parent told her, She said, Miss Wilson, I just want you to know, I tell my parents, I tell the other neighbors and all that I have, we didn't have to worry about our kids with our bus driver because we had Mary Poppins. They called (laughs) called me Mary. (laughs) One of the girls on Jean's bus came from a Latino family. Jean wanted to learn Spanish, so she asked the girl, if her mother would teach her how. So Jean started going to the house every week. After a month of Spanish lessons, Jean asked the mother if she could teach her some basic sewing with needle and thread. She had a hidden gift and a talent that she didn't realize she had. It was meant for me and her to meet, is what I feel, because this lady went on to be able to sew, and she started making things for her own family. And why sewing? Like, why did you want to teach these moms how to sew? Well, they were from low-income families. And to have a skill like that made a big difference. 
in everyday um, just spending of different things that you have to buy things for or whatever, or replacing something if you can't afford to fix it or for it to look right. Jean went on to teach many mothers and children how to sew, sitting side by side at the sewing machine, just like she had done with her mom back home. One little girl made a blanket that she was so proud of, she glowed with pride. Some of the mothers were able to earn extra money sewing, and some of the children went on to become tailors and seamstresses when they grew up. What do you think, in the end, wound up being more important? Your work on sewing the space suits or your work with the underprivileged children? I think my work with the underprivileged children, because I was able to reach out to those children. and I touched more people mm. because you're talking being forgotten and being hidden. These children, I feel if some things I did not teach them and show them, they would have been forgotten about. You've been listening to Home Made by Rocket Mortgage. My name is Stephanie Fu. You can reach us at rocketmortgage.com slash homemade. Thanks for listening. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030.